Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Before introducing this week's guest, I'm jumping in to let you know about a special Instagram giveaway happening right now. Brooke Stratton, Olympic long jumper and guest in season one, has kindly donated part of her 2016 Rio Olympic uniform to one special follower. With Tokyo coming up and Brooke literally jumping onto her second Olympic team, what a special piece of memorabilia. Head over to our Instagram page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart to enter. Entries close on Sunday the 30th of May at 10am Melbourne time. Read through the Instagram post to check out all the terms and conditions. Good luck. I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Janice Crosswhite, a passionate advocate for the community and women's involvement in sport. Janice started off her sporting journey as a participant in many sports and then went on to physical education teaching. Janice has always been passionate about improving access to sports and was awarded the Order of Australia Medal in 2001 for her efforts. Because of Janice's vast knowledge and experiences, this conversation will be split into two parts, with part two released in a few days. In this episode, Janice takes us through her early years of participating in sport and how she fell in love with basketball. The studies she's completed, as well as meeting her husband, who was an Olympic basketballer himself, and the experience of going to the Olympics as a supporter. We also hear about the project that led to Janice being awarded an Order of Australia medal, and the benefit participating in sport throughout her whole life has provided her. Janice and I actually know each other as she is a Labrador breeder and my family got our beautiful boys Harry and Dozer from her. So you may hear a reference or two about that. If you follow the Instagram page, you'd see a few pics of the dogs pop up here and there. As we recorded this episode remotely, the audio quality is a bit patchy in some places, but push past this because you don't want to miss out on any of Janice's wise words. Let's get into it. I'd like to, I guess, start off by asking you like a little bit about your sporting journey. Like how did you first get into sport? I got into sport through school sport, Mm -hmm. which was, I think, always the pathway when I was growing up. And my first sport was softball. I know in primary school, you know, I was always a good runner and a good swimmer and did rounders and netball. And then at um, secondary school, I went to Hawthorne West Secondary School, yeah. which in those days was a central school for years seven and eight. And then I went on for nine to 12 to university high school. But I remember at central school, the principal, Ivan Matthews, would have me down on the oval pitching to him. Oh, and, wow. Um, yeah, and the funny thing is he became principal at Brunswick High School where my husband ended up teaching. So, like, you know, 20 years on, I I met up with him again. But um, uh, then when I went to university high school, um, 
yeah, you know, year nine, I made the softball team and, um, and I did track and field, mm-hmm. which we called athletics. And, you know, I was a junior swimming champion and I was found out I was a natural hurdler. Wow. Um, and I was in year nine, I was 13 or 14, and I won the school athletics event as a hurdler. And so I competed high school and won the high school hurdles event. Mm-hmm. So because it was the first time they had hurdles for girls, and this was 80 metres hurdles in those days, I became the high school hurdle champion at 13 or 14. But, you know, I think it, I'm saying I had just natural coordination, natural ability, and I could adapt to whatever I wanted to do. So by the time I was 16, I was captain of the Victorian junior softball team and I made the senior softball team. So while I was in school, at school, I think year 11, I made the senior softball team. So in year 12, I decided I should play something different and I took up hockey mm-hmm. and then I made the state junior hockey team. <laughs> so I remember in year 12, I wasn't at school very much and I don't know how I got through, I barely got through matriculation because I went away to national championships in softball and hockey. And I, you know, I was still doing all those sports mm. and the school prefect and, you know, before the house captain, etc. So I had a great time at high school doing a whole range of sports, which led me to want to be a physical education teacher. Yeah, yeah. And you did that for a while, didn't you? Yes, yeah. I went to Melbourne University and mm-hmm. in those days it was a diploma course. Mm-hmm. And actually at Melbourne University I competed in intervarsity softball and had a full blue, a half blue the first year and a full blue the second year, but competed in athletics and won the Australian Hurdles Championship. Oh my god. Melbourne University. So um and then I went out to teach physical education. Yeah, your third year, you did teacher training mm-hmm. and you did um, teaching methods and sociology and psychology and um, and my other teaching subjects were history and geography. And then I was appointed to Preston Technical College to the girls' school where I taught there for five years and loved it. Uh, was head of PE and sports mistress and introduced basketball into the school system because my first year out teaching, some of the women in the Victorian softball team said, why don't you come along and play basketball? We think you'd be a good basketballer. But this was the early 1960s. Mm-hmm. This was a dark age. <laughs> and they were playing softball and basketball. And, um, yes, so... I was sort of 21 before I took up basketball and after a couple of years I made the Victorian team and it was through basketball that I, I met my husband. Yeah, that, they were pioneering days for women's basketball at Albert Park. That's where we all went to play and that was the only place we could train. So while I was at Preston Tech, I started basketball for girls mm-hmm. in the school in the boys' school because we had no such a court in girls' school. And it grew very quickly as a major sport in the school. And so I had some of my school students make Victorian teams, um, junior teams for basketball, and I had one of my students make the senior Victorian team with me. She was a catcher. 
Oh, wow. So, you know, I had a lot of school teams playing on weekends, etc. And um, and that led to me getting a promotion into the Physical Education Centre, mm-hmm. which was in Queensbury Street, Carlton. And, um, and for the next five years, I did advisory work and curriculum development in physical education. Yeah, I look back on all that with um, really great memories because you're learning all the time. Whatever yeah. I was doing, you were, well, I was at Preston Tech and I started my own softball club and I recruited kids from the local primary schools and their teachers as their coaches so that um, on the weekends we played softball down at Faulkner Park. My senior team that I was in, I then had four or five junior teams below that growing the sport and creating a pathway. Yeah, the feeder system. Yeah, and high school kids. And then at basketball at my school, just all my school teams played in at Coburg Stadium. After we started down at Albert Park and then the Coburg Basketball Stadium got built on the Merry Creek in Coburg. And then I could move all my Preston Tech teams there Friday nights always at the Coburg Stadium coaching (laughs) but that was the start of like women's basketball and junior girls basketball in Melbourne yeah so that was like you started that through your press your job at Preston College yes yeah and then other schools in the area of course we had to have play against people there with um, like Glenroy High and other schools in that area all put their girls teams teams into Coburg Stadium because up until that time there'd only been Melbourne um, Albert Park Mm -hmm. was where everyone had to go and this was the start of decentralizing basketball into the suburbs of Melbourne and and that was done by the Victorian Amateur Basketball Association in those days it was called the VABA and um, they approached local councils to build stadiums which was a fabulous initiative to grow an indoor sport because, you know, such has been the culture of Australia with football and cricket and particularly in Melbourne, um, you needed a decent facility, an indoor facility to play basketball and Coburg Coburg Stadium was the first of those. I also used it to run cross-countries from. When I was teaching at Preston Tech, I introduced cross-country into the curriculum. Yeah. And then that led to um, people approaching me to run into school cross countries. <laughs> so we have so you to thank for that. The stadium. <laughs> yeah. And then I ran you along, Mary Creek. <laughs> wow. a, you know, times are changing, and I was always able to innovate. Mm-hmm. And my principal at Preston Tech. Her name was Chloe Williams, and she then went on to be principal at Whitehorse Technical College, was an outstanding principal. And, you know, you got the money, you got the permission, and you got the support to create new programs, which was terrific. So I really enjoyed my teaching years there because you you could, you know, do what in a way you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And... Extend the curriculum, I introduced the Duke of Edinburgh scheme into my sport program at Preston Tech in the early 60s. Everyone's now talking about the Duke of Edinburgh scheme because, um, you know, the Duke's just recently died. You know, that started in the late 
59, 58 or 59, my school, I had it running in the early 60s. To cater for girls who weren't really much into sport, into the traditional sports, here's something in sport time Mm -hmm. is a challenging certificate-based curriculum, but with a lot of variety in it. Yeah, I had rowing on the curriculum for sport. You know, I sent the girls to Reservoir Lake to row or wherever. You know, I looked at all the local things that we could do. We did tennis and bowling. I brought in dance for sport. It was um, probably a little bit ahead of its time, but which kept 800 girls. 800 girls was the size of the school um, wanting to do sport and physical education. Yeah, and... Like, I think that's the most important thing because we all know participating in sport is so beneficial in more ways than just your physical. And I think girls typically have maybe shied away from it in those teen years. And if there's something yeah. something new, something different, something that's not your football and cricket, then they can get involved in. And, you know, you introduce that and that's incredible. Yeah, well... It was obvious to me that when you had your sport afternoons, many girls would turn up with notes to say they didn't want to participate, they've got their period, they've got a headache, oh, they've got their uniform. Uh, I was one (laughs) of those girls. (laughs) I'm familiar with that. (laughs) Yeah, but then I found my sport and then I'm, and now look at me, I'm living, breathing sport. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And did you find swimming? Um, I was probably like, I learned to swim, um, but Mm. probably squad swimming, maybe 15. So Mm. probably around the time we got dozer was when I was like starting to kind of take it seriously. And then I've kind of stopped the last four or five years, but I still like, I run a swim school. I coached like the state and national swimmers. So like, I'm Mm. still heavily involved in the world. Yeah. 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 And that's one of the things about sport participation. There's a range of ways you can be involved. Uh, I know when I was in Sydney and I started Women's Sport Recreation Association of New South Wales and I was the founding president, um, working with Tennis New South Wales, Mm -hmm. we did a weekend where Tennis New South Wales identified their top country and metropolitan t- tennis girl players mm-hmm. brought them into Sydney they the city girls billeted the country girls and we ran a weekend program introducing them to all the ways you can be involved in tennis mm-hmm. um, playing because this was the age they recognized and most of the girls recognized they weren't going to make it to number one they might be in the top 20 the top 100 only, you know, 0.1% go on to play professional women's tennis. So you can be an umpire, you can be a physio, you can be a coach, you can, um, you can be working in the retail areas of tennis. You know, we, we went through all these different areas and brought in speakers and, and showed them programs of being involved. And um, and I think that's one of the benefits of sport, like, you know, even today, the media like in those days there was very few sports female journalists mm-hmm. you look at how that's grown today sports medicine area that's grown sport technology there's such scopes and that's that's all the better yeah and it just brings a different 
job pathway that females can take. Which uni has just started a sports management degree? Is it Latrobe or Deakin? Um, Deakin is, I'm pretty sure it's Deakin. So Deakin does exercise science, sport management, and they do it as a double as well. And then I've Mm. actually got Bachelor of Sport Development from Deakin. So they've got another kind of side in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Even that we could study sport. Like how could that you can go to uni and study sport? Well, in my day, in the dark ages again, um, there was nowhere to go to do a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And then Perth Uni, Perth University came home. And I actually got a scholarship to go there. And I didn't do it because I was in the Victorian softball and basketball team. I didn't want to go and represent WA. <laughs> um, so I did a fourth year training at the old secondary teachers college in dance and drama and Australian history to make my qualifications up to a four-year degree equivalent mm-hmm. because there was no nowhere in Victoria. And then eventually um, my husband got a scholarship in the day of the Whitlam government. We had to go somewhere to the Northern Hemisphere for him to do a master's degree and we went to the University of North Carolina and he did a master's degree and they wouldn't allow me to do a master's because my Melbourne University diploma was only a diploma level. And not a bachelor. I, had, I know, even though I had four years in equipment, I, had to, I just did another bachelor's degree or one. But um, so many Australians in that era went to the USA universities to do their um, master's and PhDs. Wow. Gosh, wow. Um, I want to throw back to, you're still involved in basketball now. So when you were 20, 21, mm-hmm. and you went, yep, this is kind of the sport for me. I really love this. I think basketball really suited my temperament. Mm-hmm. It's, it's free-flowing. It, it's very much a cooperative game, particularly women's basketball. There's more um, strategy. And I think it's, um, it's a hard game to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me quite a few years to really understand the game. But that was also good because I I, I, I never really worked at the backyard basketball. It was always in a very much a team concept. Mm-hmm. And so I always grew up playing basketball with a very team orientation with a very strong emphasis on defensive player. And I think over the years I've been a better defensive player an offensive because I, I never really had that fascinating natural technique of growing up shooting the ball. And I think because you're close to each other and you pass the ball and you feed the ball in, it, it does develop a very strong sense of team. Yeah. And that, that, that always suited me. I suppose when I got married in seventy, I had to give up something because I also had into the Fizet Centre and was working <laughs> probably seven hours of like eight to five and learning to cook, you know, learning to run a household. I, I stepped away from the Victorian softball team and just stayed with basketball. Yeah. And, and I think it, it, it has stayed a passion with me. Um, and I still love the game and, and like to watch it and play it when I can. When yeah. we're not in COVID lockdown. <laughs> and yeah. so you mentioned when you got married. So your husband is—he was an Olympic basketballer. Is that right? Yeah. 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 
So did you guys bond over like that shared love for basketball? Was it for, like falling for him that got you into it? No, I, I think it's, it's just how we met. He was one of the first basket, American basketballers who Lindsay Gay's recruited to play with the Melbourne Tigers. Mm-hmm. And he arrived here in July 1969. We got married in January 1970. Okay, yep, so you fell in love. <laughs> yes, yeah, he, he was only here about six or seven weeks when we got engaged and then in another sort of eight or ten weeks we got married much to everyone's shock and horror <laughs> uh, including his parents who'd never seen me or knew about anything about me oh well yeah. no that's props to you in um in getting that done very quickly because I've been engaged over a year and I've done nothing in terms of wedding planning <laughs> well part of the haste was because of basketball because Lindsay, being the Melbourne Tigers coach and the Australian coach, said the following summers, in the leading leading to the '92 Munich Olympics, he was going to take the Australian team over to the States to play every summer, mm-hmm. and therefore we were both teachers. And that that January 1970, three of the Melbourne Tigers team got married <laughs> because. Um, if they didn't get married then, it wasn't going to happen for a few more years because they were going to be away and training all the time. So because he married me in Australia, he was able to take out Australian citizenship and then play for Australian 72, the 76 and the 80 Olympics. Wow, that's incredible. So did you get to travel with him and help support? I did go to the Munich. Yep. No, not Munich because... Um, um, no, not Munich, because working, etc., and the time of the year it was. But with Montreal, I did, and uh, we only we had one daughter then, and uh, I took her with me to Montreal. And then eighty, I was pregnant when those Olympics were on with third child. So um, no, um, just the one Olympics. But that, you know, you. <laughs> It's hard to be around during the Olympics, particularly with the security. Mm-hmm. Like even mm-hmm. in um, in uh, Montreal, I, I had a gun drawn on me twice by the um, the officials around the basketball stadium because this was a reaction to Munich. Mm-hmm. And I think in one game he badly sprained an ankle, and I, you know, sort of tried to go to find the change rooms to see how he was, and he got escorted out under someone with a machine gun oh my so god it wasn't you know they weren't great olympics <laughs> and uh, and neither was uh, moscow with, with the boycott from the usa so they weren't the event that you, you know the friendly type event in those in that era yeah of the yeah. olympics after after munich that really did put a damper on them and uh, it wasn't until 84 in Los Angeles and then um, 88 that things started to improve for the Olympic Games as being a more popular event to go to. Oh, there you go. There's a little bit of history there. Like I didn't realise, I guess. Well, I know in 70, after the Montreal Olympics, we, we stayed on at North Carolina, the University of North Carolina, he did his master's in recreation administration and I did a lot of graduate courses and it was an issue at the time. Will the Olympics 
continue or is this the end of it? And I remember writing essays on it and and wondering because, um, you know, the threat of terrorism again, and then to prevent that, the amount of security and the way it was done at Montreal was very unfriendly and over the top. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't get tickets to games anyway. That the the organisation was so poorly handled that um, there was empty seats um, in many of the venues, but you couldn't get tickets to get in because they were poorly administrated. So we wondered, you know, it's not worth it going to this type of event. Mm. Yeah, is it actually a world? you know you go there to watch the world's best athletes compete against each other and show what they've got and you can't even watch it because you're not allowed in and I suppose I compared it to the Melbourne Olympics because Mm -hmm. at the 56th Olympics in Melbourne I could walk up from school from Hawthorne West Central and walk in they allowed girls and boys in in school uniform wow I walked in and I remember talking to Dawn Fraser I remember watching Chilla Porter in the semi-dark in a bronze medal, I think, in the high jump. I remember watching Betty Cuspert win on the track and Shirley Strickland. You know, this was my idea. Just went through the doors and sat down somewhere. I don't know who I was with. I must have been with my father or <laughs> kids from school. My father was um, district fire officer. And it took in the Olympic Village, and I went with Dad out to the Heidelberg uh, Olympic Village and get stashes of, um, in those days, autographs. You know, he had autograph books. <laughs> I could not imagine being able to like walk right up to the Olympic Village and go, "Hey, like, I know, sign my book." Well, <laughs> I know. Well, I've been to quite a few Olympic since and Commonwealth Games, and you just can't even get into the villages, you know, unless you've got a VIP pass to get in. Yeah. But that was my memory, you know, of, of being a schoolgirl, just being able to get access to athletes and watch events. So that's incredible. I say, um, Montreal was a bit of a shocker. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's insane. And like your husband's sporting achievements and what he's done in sports, amazing. But I want to, want to focus on you on, on this one. Um, you've had a few masters world champs now can you tell us a little bit about those they're great games and world masters games except in one the one we went to in torino italy was dreadful but um usa edmonton um australia we've had two in australia melbourne and sydney and um and the last one was 2018 in auckland and that was run really well in new zealand Mm -hmm. And at all of those, my Aussie Butterflies team, we've won the gold medal in our age group, excepting in Edmonton, we lost on the bell to the Canadians with a very doubtful referee call. Oh, no. (laughs) A home court call, yes. And um, we got silver there. But, yeah, in all the other places, you know, I think we started off with over 45, over 50, over 55, over 60s. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And I did a little bit of digging. And in 
2002, you were awarded the Order of Australia Medal for your services to the community and women's sport. Like, how did that feel? Because I'm going to admit something now. One time you sent us an email about picking up Harry. You must have sent it from your other email address. And I saw OAM and I was like, oh, wonder what she's got an OAM for. And I did a quick Google and then I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a little bit embarrassing. But Janice, like, I literally thought of the podcast idea within that 24 hours before I saw that. And I was like, it's the sign. Like the universe (laughs) has told me, yes, this is go for this of starting this podcast. So you were one of the Mm. best I ever wanted on. Oh, that's nice. I developed a strategic plan. I had it printed with us and I went around and I talked to all the politicians along with Tony Abbott, who was the member for Manly, John Wayne Bishop, who was three across that northern beaches, presented this plan for outdoor courts and an indoor stadium. And Pitwater Council broke away from Warringah Council and the, the mayor and the CEO there were very keen to get the project to establish their own council in their own light. And anyway, the, the deal got done and I set up a company called the Northern Beaches Indoor Sports Centre Company, which is still growing. I was the secretary, I got the mayor to be the president, someone <laughs> from Netball was the treasurer, I was the secretary. And we developed a concept plan and we put the four-court stadium in the grounds of Marabine Sports High School got the education department to grant us that site. And so there was a primary school one end, there was the sports high school the other end, and the stadium got put on the floodplains of the Narrowbank Creek. And it was so successful, they've now added on two more courts. It's a flourishing basketball association, and they want to add on two more courts. But like some of the private schools, particularly on those northern beaches, have got more basketball teams and they've got rugby teams, cricket teams, etc. Wow. And and they send their school teams there to play in week and weekend competition with some government help to extend the stadium again. Oh, (laughs) that's so amazing. And I think that's one of my legacies is that um, I was able to get the right people together at the right time. Our association already had some government grants and that was the seeding that we could use to grow the project. And I eventually got hoping 50000 out of the bishop, who was then a cabinet minister in the Howard government. And we had to, and she was a minister for heritage. So I came up with the idea that we would put a hall of fame in the basketball stadium, which was a multi-purpose stadium. The courts were marked netball and basketball, but it was mainly used by netball and basketball, but particularly basketball because we had, um, we put more of the money in. <laughs> well, netball, I think I got 50000 out of netball. So with 50000 from Rob, we did a, a Hall of Fame. So then I had to develop the criteria and how we we're going to put these plaques on the wall and, and to the northern beaches. And the Hall of Fame had to be based on her electorate. Oh, gosh. Because the money came out of her um, her office. Yeah. You know? 
But, you know, this is what you did to get something that was a, a very suitable facility and a much-needed facility. And, um, and the growth of the sport has been terrific. And, and that's where five of my grandchildren now play. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, what a legacy. Yeah. So not only like not only all the children that you've helped play there, but like five of your own grandchildren. Like that's so special. I know, it is. And it's it's um, you know, we get up there a couple of times a year to see them and uh, it's just great to go back there and see that um it was just used, it just used day and night. And and during the daytime, this is when the schools come in and use it. And that type of school community project, which was considered a pilot project, it sort of took through the 90s to develop it. The New South Wales government and the Department of Sport and Recreation saw that as a pilot project where school, um, schools work with sporting clubs to develop facilities that both can use. So it's not empty much during the day. And the community gets used before and after school and at night. Oh, how good is that? So it's like fully getting used and everyone's getting the benefits from it. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now that brings me to my next question, which is what other benefit sport has provided you as an individual that's transferred over to other areas of your life? I, I just think good mental health, which translates to whatever activities you're in that you probably behind all that is a sense of purpose you like doing things there's you 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 do like achieving things (laughs) but there's success around you and I think underneath all that is is some confidence that I think because you succeed on the field whatever field of play it is you know, I've always felt confident to have a go at things and try new things. Yeah. Um, so that you, you do continue to sort of grow and, and you, your interests are continual, but you, you're learning all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just you shouldn't stop learning. There's so much to know in this world. And I think the other thing is through sport, you make such good friends and connect with people and those social benefits and I'm still trying to do that (laughs) you know I I go to a gym regularly and you know my gym friends you run in I I do classes mainly Um, you say hello you have a coffee some of the time afterwards if you can Mm -hmm. Um, you know there's always people there to talk to to have a word with and it's social as well as physical and mental and I think this is what sports given me all that yeah Um, and and it's helped you across your whole your whole life yeah yeah and um today I just put in an application to Nillambeekshire Council which is my local council here they've started post-COVID grants Mm -hmm. and um and I saw these grants all listed so I've applied for one (laughs) Fiona for my tennis group on a Tuesday morning, we play over 50 social tennis and two courts here at Panton Hill. And it's men and women from our area, from St Andrews down to Diamond Creek, and doing some physical activity in this case, which playing doubles. All we do is play doubles, and it's, <laughs> you know, virtually no run doubles. Um, lots of chat 
good humour on the side. So, yeah, we'll see how we go with that. Well, my fingers are crossed for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really good that, you know, confidence was one of the first ones you mentioned because actually a few of our guests have said that sport has given them confidence to be able to try new things or confidence in themselves Mm. to do what they're doing. And, yeah, I think that's Mm. really special. I think so. And I I think particularly for women when I run um, uh, mentoring programs, I started um, Australian Women's Sport Mentoring Program quite some years ago. And that was one of the things that was always said by most of these women in the mentoring program. What they needed was confidence. Mm -hmm. And that's what the research shows in um, seeking promotion, seeking advancement. They're going to underestimate their abilities. Mm -hmm. And men don't. (laughs) They overestimate sometimes. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that's um, women never ask for the pay rise while the men do, etc. So um, I don't think. I've lacked that confidence to some degree, but, you know, it, it hasn't been, I think it's more an inner confidence, you know, you, you feel secure in what you're doing. And I suppose in a good family, stable situation to to have backing to support. Yeah. My, my husband's never said, oh, don't do that, or, you know, I've just done what I want to do. <laughs> And he's there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really, really like that. That you, like you've both had really successful careers in sport administration. But yeah, it was always you that I was like, oh my gosh, like she's incredible what she's done. And I, I really love that you've had the confidence to do that what you've done. Mm, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.